right, everybody, we are doing it. Doing it the best I can. That was the theme song to Just the Ten of Us, one of the great shows in the history of television. Actually, not a good show at all, but I think it was part of the old TGIF lineup at some point, so I made it my duty in life to memorize all TV show theme songs. You cannot stump me, don't even try. But that's also a good slogan for this podcast. Doing it the best I can. I am loopy, fully sleep deprived, totally delirious. And I think that's the best time to record a podcast. So here we go. Episode nine. Welcome, everybody. If you made it to episode nine, I appreciate you immensely. All right. In a few moments, I'm going to reveal something that happened to me last night that has never happened to me before. And I never thought it would happen to me. Because it used to be something that I thought happened to other people. And it's funny. I guarantee when I tell it, it will sound scary and funny at the same time. I'll get to that in a little bit. I have seen two movies that I'm going to give you reviews for. I, Tanya and The Disaster Artist. So I still have not seen The Shape of Water. I'm still building up the courage to see a human woman have sex with a fish for two hours. Is that what the movie is? I'm starting to piece it together. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. That sounds fine, but I'm not there yet. And I also want to see three billboards in a town called Blibblings, Missouri. Have not seen that either. But I did sit down for I, Tanya, which was good. And The Disaster Artist, which I think was good, but I'll get to that later. And we're going to talk about nutrition, folks. You're tuning into the right podcast if you want to talk about nutrition. In a very new age way, we'll talk about what we eat. You're like, really? You're going to come at us like that? Just wait. Just wait. Don't be impatient. We're going to talk about grocery shopping in 2018. How different it is, folks. How different it is. But the title of this podcast, not like I really give titles to these podcasts, is Back Pain. Excruciating, intense, severe, extreme back pain. I'm in it. I'm in the midst of it right now. So here's what I'm doing. Heat pad, ice pack, ibuprofen, ibuprofen, Ben Gay, Tiger Bomb, heat pad, ice pack. Now, on Friday, I went to see a chiropractor, a very earthy chiropractor, a very Marin County chiropractor. If you don't know what that means, I'll explain what Marin County is all about. And then I saw a masseuse the very next day. And I don't really love professional massages, but I figured I need that deep tissue action. And I'm pretty sure in the moment it was good, but the pressure was too much. Actually, I know the pressure was too much, and it relates to something that happened to me last night that's never happened before. Okay, so let me just get right to it. I believe sleeping on the couch for about three months will fuck up your back pretty badly. And I didn't realize that until I googled it, and I realized, of course, sleeping on the couch for a few months will mess up your back, your discs, your vertebrae, your alignment. And then holding a 10-pound human, as you do many activities, is also just enough weight to screw things up as well. So I'm in, I'd say, the worst back pain of my life. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm working with a 9.2. That's high, folks. And I'm trying to sound dramatic. I'm trying to build up the drama to what actually happened last night. So the chiropractor is this guy who tells me, you know, I'm into enlightenment and spirituality and mindfulness, and also I will adjust your back and tell you how to stretch and do all these things. And he felt the need to tell me that he has 
meditated with the Buddhist monks of Tibet, and he's swam naked down the Nile River, and he told me his whole biography, and I realized, wow, this is the true definition of Marin County right here, this guy. Now, Marin County, for those of you that don't know, it is a healthy place. People here care about health, very health conscious, mind, body, and soul. You know, this is where Spirit Rock is, a world-renowned spirituality center, Spirit Rock in West Marin. This is where people eat organic, and they've been eating organic before it was the new craze. I, I just want to venture out to say there's probably more people who care about eating organic and clean eating without preservatives and without processed food in Marin than any other county in America. It's just a guess. No research went into that comment. In Marin County, we like to keep it very green. There are no billboards. There are really no high-rise buildings. So it's not the glitz and glamour of San Francisco, which is about 20 minutes away from me right now. But Marin County is a different planet. It's its own world. Like Portlandia, Marin County, Marindia would be a great TV show. It would have to be a sketch comedy show with Fred Armisen. But there's just enough weirdness in this county that I think would be consumable for mainstream America to laugh at and learn from. Okay, so Mr. Marin County adjusts my back. And he says a lot of spiritual things, eye-opening things, but my back doesn't feel better. So that's not an indictment on chiropractors, but I just didn't get immediate relief. And of course, the upsell, you got to come back next week. Okay, I'll come back next week. And you got to buy this cream. Okay, I'll buy the cream. And then you got to visit this masseuse. Okay, I visit the masseuse. And I went to the masseuse and she asked me what kind of pressure I want. And I said, full throttle, as if that's a level of pressure in the massage world. And she went full throttle. This little lady was about 120 pounds. She put all 120 pounds into her elbow and just rode it up and down my back for about 60 minutes, up and down my back, from the top of my buttocks to the bottom of my neck for one hour, straight elbow digging into my pain. Now, it didn't feel great, but I figured, yeah, she's the pro. And she would check in once in a while and say, how's that feel? And I said, okay, I guess it feels okay. What do I know? And afterwards, I was lightheaded, I was dizzy, and she forgot to remind me to drink a lot of water and probably not drive a car. I know, that sounds like it's obvious, you should know that. If you're lightheaded, drink water. If you just had the deepest of deep tissue massages, maybe you should drink some water and just relax. But instead, I had a very busy day and drove my car all around and decided to go on with my life without hydrating properly. Okay. So here's what happened. Last night, I'm going to the bathroom in the middle of the night because I'm an old man and this is what happens. And as I'm peeing, I look at the wall and I realize my head feels like a helium balloon. It gets that light. And then it, the room goes dark and then it goes light again. That's my last memory before waking up in my boxers on the ground to what seemed to be the sound of a jet propeller. Or maybe a helicopter. I should avoid all sound effects because this is not setting the scene properly. But I woke up so disoriented on the floor of the bathroom and I couldn't recognize anything. This is scary, folks. And this actually happened. I fainted. There it is. So I fainted for the first time in my life. In the middle of the night, and I know it's probably eight hours after the massage. I don't even know if it's fully connected to the massage. Maybe it's the back pain. Maybe the back pain is so intense that I just fainted. How wild is that? Here's why it is ironic. Sometimes just to make myself laugh, I go to YouTube and I type in 
people fainting. And it's so funny. If there was footage of me, if there was a surveillance camera in my bathroom last night and I could watch myself fainting, it would be really entertaining. However, it's not because now it's frightening to think that I had to blink myself to consciousness, wondering where I was. I figured I was on a bachelor party at some cabin at first. I go, where is this? Turns out it was my own bathroom. So once I go from disoriented state of mind to understanding where I am, then I have to kind of gauge, okay, which body parts hurt? It was my head and my elbow. Nothing else, though. So I came back to bed and my wife's like, what was that? To validate that something happened. I didn't just dream it. I truly fainted while peeing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing it. It's amazing. And she said, are you okay? And I said, I don't think so. I really don't think that's something that's okay. But I tried to sleep again for the rest of the night. I will have more compassion now to people who faint. It shouldn't just be a great montage on YouTube to bring me a smile. By the way, people fainting at weddings is what you should type in if you really want to laugh. A lot of people just faint at weddings. Grooms, groomsmen, brides, bridesmaids, uh, guests on the dance floor. People just faint. I guess there's a lot of pressure and emotion at weddings. You know, there really is. They tell the men who are groomsmen, don't lock your knees. Kind of keep them bent because fainting is an issue. It happens at weddings a lot, and it's so wonderful to watch in retrospect until last night. Now I have to have true compassion, and I will also have more compassion to people with severe back pain. It's almost impossible to have empathy in life unless you've had it. I know the word empathy, people act like you can learn how to be empathetic. I don't think so. That's my theory of the day. I think empathy is actually impossible. You can intellectualize what it means. I understand empathy. By definition, it's the ability to share and understand somebody else's feelings. But really, how many of us are capable of that? Very few. Actually, that's my theory. Nobody. I don't even want to say very few. Nobody is truly capable of empathy. People can be compassionate, but to all of my friends who've had severe back pain, and I have a few friends who've even had back surgery, and my relatives, my mom, my dad, anybody with back pain, if I'm not experiencing it, I just go, yeah, take a hot tub. Yeah, take an ibuprofen. I hope you feel better. Get that tiger bomb out. Rub it in deep. It consumes you. A real back pain absolutely consumes you. It's tough to focus on anything else, maybe just like a lot of injuries. So I've been having to tell myself, well, at least you don't have this and at least you don't have that and focus on the bright side and take a look at the positives and be very appreciative for all of those things. But deep down, I'm just going, shit, this back pain is intense. But back to the topic that empathy is impossible. There are so many things we learn in the news and so many things we see on TV that make us sad in the moment and we could be compassionate. I think it's possible to be compassionate, but you can't really put yourself in a different person's shoes. What was it? A couple of weeks ago, 60 Minutes on CBS did a piece on immigration, illegal immigration from south of the border. These people coming from Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador into our country by any means necessary. Some in a boat, some on foot, some even stuffed into these big trucks. Some of these people die of malnutrition and dehydration. And what are they fleeing? A dangerous world. What are they looking for? A better world. But here I am just sitting in Marin County, California with my organic diet, watching 60 Minutes. So for 15 minutes watching 60 Minutes, it makes me sad. But I can't truly be empathetic. I don't know what it feels like to have to flee your own country because you're living in fear, because you want your kids to get an education, because you want an opportunity to have a better job, a better life, freedoms. 
I don't know what it's like to have to flee a country because the cartel is so powerful. It's more powerful than any law enforcement or government agency. So when you watch this, of course, you know, this rant could become very political, but I think it's more about empathy. When you learn about things in history, and as a history teacher, I'm constantly teaching history to rooms of teenagers wondering if they're having an emotional response or an emotionless response and trying not to judge anybody for having an emotionless response. Because as I teach about the Holocaust or as I teach about the Great Purge under Stalin or even the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror under Robespierre, how many of us can truly be empathetic to the people that have lived through persecution and oppression? You can really think about it and go, God, it must have been tough. And then we move on with our day. But the idea that we could actually put ourselves in another person's shoes and say, I'm an empathetic person, I think that's all bullshit. I don't think there's one human on earth who's truly empathetic. Not to sound negative, but it wasn't until I had this back pain that allowed me to say, okay, now I understand what other people have gone through who have intense back pain. After hearing about it for so many years and not having it, then I just go, I hope you get better. Oh, that's such a bummer. I say things like, get well soon and take some meds, take some opioids without getting addicted, take that tramadol, make sure you have a heating pad. But really, it's just a bunch of filler, small talk. Hey, small talk. Okay, this can guide me into a little topic from psychology today that I read about. It says how people in general, when they learn about groups sustaining awful situations, whether it's starvation or oppression or genocide, when we learn about this stuff, sometimes it could become impossible to process. Our minds are not even capable of wrapping around these topics. So the article I read in Psychology Today said, you are a person, not a number. You don't see digits in the mirror. You see a face and you don't see a crowd. You see an individual. So you and I relate more powerfully to the reality of a single person than to the numbing, faceless, nameless, lifeless abstraction of numbers, statistics. You know, the former tyrant, the former dictator of Russia, Joseph Stalin, has that famous quote, one death is a tragedy. One million deaths is really just a statistic just a statistic, he was smart enough to know how people would study him in history. That people would look, you know, over 20 million people killed under Stalin. It just becomes a statistic. I don't see my students getting emotional and crying when I tell them about that. But if I told my students, uh, my dog died or a puppy died, it would actually evoke more of an intense, sad reaction than learning about 20 million people died under Stalin in the Great Purge and collective farming days under Stalin and Russia. And I realized that's okay. That's how we're wired as humans. I mean, I'd love it if everybody had such a sad emotional response when we study the atrocities in history. But the truth is, if you heard today that in your town, one of your neighbors, you know, a kid got hit by a car and died, that would probably create more sadness in your day than if you were to just read a book about a tribe in Africa that was killed off because of their own religion or political ideologies. This is getting way too deep. I think I'm lightheaded again, actually. I think I'm going to faint right now on a podcast. Is that good for promotion? Is that good for exposure? Should I develop that as a reputation? At some point, I'll fall into the mic. Wait for it. It's coming. It's coming. I literally feel lightheaded right now. I'm going to have some water. Hold on. Luckily, this is not live radio. And we're back. 
Oh yeah, I want to jump into nutrition for a moment. Can you remember the first time you ever grocery shopped on your own as a quasi-adult? Like in college? After the dorms, and I love the dorms. I lived at the Conk. San Diego State had these dorms for both San Diego State students and the JC students, the Grossmont students. And it was truly 10 stories of partying at all times. There was no weekend. It was always a weekend at the Conquistador dorms, which are now called University Towers, right there on Montezuma and 55th Avenue. Great location, great place. But they had like a all-you-can-eat cafeteria my first year of college. So I wasn't cooking for myself or grocery shopping for myself. It was like a sizzler. Hey, it was like a great sizzler. No smoking section, but it was an all-you-can-eat buffet. Uh, Thank you, Mom and Dad, for paying for that. And then the year after, that's when everybody gets their own apartment and discovers what it's like to grocery shop for the first time. Like, I didn't know prices of breads or eggs or produce or meats. Knew nothing about it. So the first time my roommate and I went into a Ralph's, we figured, yeah, we're going to buy food for the year. For the month? For the week? How does this work? How often do you even go grocery shopping? And we bought the cheapest version of everything. Like, we bought that 89-cent white bread, not realizing that you get what you pay for. That the $4 loaf of white bread is actually durable, tastes better, better for you. But we bought the 89-cent generic store version of white bread. Uh, Instead of fresh-squeezed orange juice for 5 bucks, we bought Tampico which is basically just sugar water that's been doused with orange food coloring. I remember we bought hot dogs, a lot of Chef Boyardee, a lot of Top Ramen. Got out of there, I think I spent 70 bucks and really had enough to eat for a month. That is not how grocery shopping should work. I think I bought 30 cans of tuna. Now, although that still sounds good today, I realized 30 cans of tuna, that's 30 bucks. That's 30 meals, a can of tuna or ramen, which is 10 cents for a pack, top ramen. Delicious. Then I'll just buy enough for the month. I had no clue what nutrition was all about. Did not understand dietary restrictions. Did not understand any of the buzzwords that are now at the forefront of my thoughts when I go grocery shopping. But that was fun back then. By the way, on the topic of tuna, who's buying the tuna in the oil? Why does that even exist? Everybody's buying tuna in water, right? Chicken of the sea, whatever brand you get. Why does the option tuna in oil find itself into the shelf? That's a weird way of asking. Why is there tuna in oil? This rant was supposed to be much better, but the lightheadedness is coming back. But damn it, I'm getting through this podcast. I am getting through this damn podcast. Okay, fast forward to today. How I grocery shop versus how... The fat kid inside of me wants to grocery shop. So today, when we go get chicken, we need the buzzwords. We studied this before our wedding. My wife and I studied clean eating. This lady, Isabel, she's an opportunist, a capitalist. She's brilliant, a nutritionist, a dietitian, whatever the words are for that profession. She's everything. Nice lady. Uh, You spend some money, you get her recipes, you get her videos, you probably get her emails. And she teaches you what to look for. If you're going to buy chicken, well, of course, you got to have organic chicken. And make sure that chicken hasn't had any antibiotics. And make sure that chicken has not been eating any corn, just grain. And make sure that chicken is cage-free. So I have to write down all of these buzzwords, or at least commit them to memory. What about beef? Oh, beef. Think about that cow. Grass-fed. Make sure that cow is grass-fed, not corn-fed. Of course, make sure it's organic. Of course, make sure no antibiotics. Um, what are some other buzz ones? 
buzzwords for beef. Yeah, free range. Free range. Make sure he's not stuffed into a bunk bed with his other cow friends. But these are all things that are healthier for me and hopefully better for the cow. So I actually do care. I'm not making that up. It actually matters to me now. When I buy sausage, it has to have no nitrates. has to be organic. When I buy seafood, it has to be fresh caught. It can't be previously frozen. Okay? So this is how it has to be from here on out. Eggs. Oh my God, eggs. It has to say cage-free organic with omega-3s. Now, I would be lying if I told you I really understood what all of this means. I barely understand what organic means, but I've committed to it and I need it. And now mainstream grocery stores have everything in organic cans and the produce section is filled with it. And breads, there's just about a thousand buzzwords on a loaf of bread nowadays. So it's not exactly resulting in less pounds, but at least I feel better. That's the point. Processed foods will make you feel bad. Bad eating could even make you feel depressed, but good eating could make you feel good. Yet if it was up to me, if none of this existed, if I never learned a damn thing about clean eating and what to avoid, how would I grocery shop? It's like that 17-year-old who grocery shopped for the first time. All that stuff still tastes really good. Chef Boyardee, beefaroni, are you kidding me? That is just as good as a bolognese you will have at a fancy Italian restaurant like Piatti. If you blindfolded me and gave me a bite of a bolognese from Piatti and a bite of Chef Boyardee's original beefaroni, I would be equally satisfied. It's true. I don't even go down the ice cream aisle. I don't. I don't. How do I get my sweets? <laughs> fruit, folks. Fruit. Dried fruit. It's good for me. I need a high fiber diet. But if I go too deep into that ice cream aisle, you're going to find an it's it. I didn't realize, as a kid in middle school, eating an it's it every single day of my life at the Miller Creek Middle School cafeteria was so bad for me. I was so skinny, what did I care? But an it's it, it's probably 70% saturated fat. You know what I'm talking about with those oatmeal cookies dunked into that magic shell all wrapped around about an inch and a half of vanilla ice cream. You want one right now, don't you? Of course you do. It's it. Bay Area people know about an it's it. I'm not sure people around the country or even the world know about an it's it. But if they go, oh yeah, we used to call those something else, say, no, you didn't. There's only one It's It. There's no other brand out there trying to be an It's It. But if I didn't care about nutrition at all, just gave up on life, my freezer would only be It's It's. I'd still be eating cold cuts every single day, all the processed foods. And I would have a live-in chef by the name of Hector Boyardee. I believe his first name is Hector. I'm not making that up. There used to be a commercial where they talked about old Hector Boyardee and his family recipes. All right, I'm jumping around like a maniac today, like an absolute maniac, although today is dedicated fully to my bracket. I'm still alive, folks. I'm still alive. If Michigan can go to the final game, I might bring home some money. Every year, I join the Marin Brewing Company pool. This year, it's 650 bucks if you win it all. So I have Villanova, Michigan in my final game. Let us all pray to the college basketball gods. 650 bucks. That used to be a fun question. Hey, how would you spend 650 bucks? What would you do if you won the lottery? I've reached the old cynical age of, well, I would pay my bills. It would go toward my rent. It would go toward diapers. It would go to health products and clean eating and nutrition. It would go to charities. That all sounds good, but it takes the fun out of winning 650 bucks. So anytime you gamble or anytime you enter a pool... Half the fun is fantasizing about winning, winning, and winning big. So let's just hope that it's Michigan-Villanova in that final game, and then I can reap the benefits 
of putting $650 into my checking account. Well, in all honesty, you would have to celebrate with food, right? You got to go to a fancy steakhouse, maybe the House of Prime Rib, maybe a tableside Caesar salad before I get into those big old meatballs. Okay. Being lazy lately with back pain allows me to try to watch movies. Although with a baby, you watch a movie in three intervals. You don't just watch it the whole thing through. So the two that I had on the docket, or that just popped up on the docket, I, Tanya, which is maybe the true story of the Tanya Harding-Nancy Kerrigan fiasco, but this movie focuses simply on Tanya's life, and the disaster artist, James Franco. And his brother. I don't know his brother's name. But his brother's also the star and Seth Rogen's in it too. All right, let me start with I, Tanya. I remember living through this, not realizing how many years ago that is. Like 24 years ago. Feels more recent than that. But why would a kid my age, a 12-year-old, care so much about figure skating in the Winter Games? And that is because Jeff Galuli and his friend Sean hired a guy named Derek in Detroit to bash the knee of Nancy Kerrigan before the Winter Games in Lillehammer. And of course, this is all traced back to Tanya Harding. She was already guilty in the court of public opinion. People go, yeah, this is Tanya's plan. But this movie tries to make it sound like, no, Tanya knew nothing about it. And she's being played by this really likable actress named Margot Robbie. And her mom is being played by Allison Janney, who won an Oscar for her performance. And she was very good. But you come away from the movie thinking two things. Number one, Tanya Harding actually is a survivor. She dealt with so much abuse, physical, emotional, You know, her father left the family. Her mother was just a heartless bitch, like one of the most evil mothers I've ever seen in movie history. But if this is real life, then one of the most evil mothers ever in real history, just destroying the mind of this little girl who was a gifted figure skater. And there is a lot about figure skating in this movie, but you do feel for Tanya Harding. And that's the disclaimer. If this is all true, you feel for her. And then the second part is you realize, oh, she's still a liar. She acts like she didn't help plan the hit on Nancy Kerrigan. And she's holding on to this alibi, or not this alibi, but just this false story of, all we meant to do was send negative letters to Nancy. Really? That's a big difference. You think sending nasty negative letters to Nancy Kerrigan would have altered her performance on the ice? Or maybe a crowbar to the knee. Yeah, a crowbar to the knee would give you the advantage over Nancy. And it still didn't. In the actual Olympics... Nancy gets the silver, Tanya doesn't even place because her laces were broken as she tried to ice skate to the soundtrack to Jurassic Park, I believe. I was so into this story as a little kid. It was scintillating, it was gossip. It was almost like how the O.J. Simpson story captivated America. But the movie I, Tanya is very good for other reasons. It's almost different than how I remembered it. This is about... Tanya's upbringing in the sticks, you know, being labeled white trash, living through poverty, and then her career afterwards, or lack of career afterwards, and her terrible marriage to a terrible guy. So it's very watchable. If I had to give it a grade, that's a solid B+, which is a good grade. And I guess Allison Janney deserved the Oscar. And I can't really talk about that because I haven't seen all the movies. How can I compare anybody's performance? But the other one, here's a very weird performance. James Franco playing a guy named Tommy Wiseau. Do you know Tommy Wiseau? Of course you don't. But it's a perfectly named movie, The Disaster Artist. Because Tommy Wiseau is a guy who, with his own money, put up six million bucks to create a movie based on a script he wrote, probably about his life, and it was the biggest disaster. It was so much of a disaster that it became a cult classic afterwards. 
He thought it would be, you know, a real dramatic movie, but everybody laughed at it at the premiere. And nowadays, people have heard that it's the worst movie ever, which causes people to want to see it. Kind of like you can't turn your head on the highway if there's a car crash on the side of the road. That's his movie called The Room. So what James Franco did is he studied the story. He became Tommy Wiseau for this movie. And there are some laughs. Then there are some times where you're just like, this is awkward. Is this uncomfortable? Is this movie about somebody who's developmentally delayed? But the kicker is Tommy Wiseau has never, ever revealed where he's from. People think Eastern Europe. He tells people New Orleans, Louisiana. So he has never to this day told people where he's from. He has never told people why he is so rich, where the money has come from. He put up $6 million for a movie that grossed $1,800 because it was not even around in theaters. He like bought out a theater to put his movie in. He even bought billboards around L.A. to make it look like a real movie. He bought all the actors. He bought all the cinematographers. He bought the wardrobe girl. He bought directors. He bought all this stuff with his money to create a movie that was awful, had a pointless plot, maybe the worst acting of all time, and that's what The Disaster Artist is all about, the making of the worst movie ever. But I think indirectly, James Franco has fully promoted the real movie, The Room, which I now have to see, I think. I think I'll try to dedicate some time of my life, my busy life, to seeing The Room. Um, But also, Tommy Wiseau never reveals how old he is, and he never makes sense throughout the entire movie. I think it's a tragedy, although the movie ends with a lot of laughter. But anything based on a true story that is that weird is appealing to me. That's my wheelhouse. Something that happened, maybe a loose depiction from a Hollywood script that makes you feel a little awkward and you have some laughs and then you immediately have to Google it afterwards and then you immediately have to go to YouTube and watch the real thing, see the real characters. So that's the similarity between Itania and The Disaster Artist. Both things happened. You're not sure how many liberties Hollywood took with these scripts. And Itania is just based on her interviews. That's why it's called Itania. It's based on her perspective, her viewpoint, maybe even her lies or her truths. But it was good. It was like a well-done movie. The way they told it, just a good soundtrack throughout. And I think in a weird way, it may have been a sports movie. And I like sports. And then The Disaster Artist. I like movies. Movies about movies are pretty good, too. So Tommy Wiseau, maybe the weirdest person ever in Hollywood history, which is saying something because Hollywood is a cesspool of weirdos. But Tommy's one of those guys who still to this day is trying to make it in Hollywood. And the fact that James Franco brought him up on stage at the Golden Globes when they won an award, that had to be the most validating moment ever for this guy, who I think attempted to go to the microphone before James Franco said, "Uh, eh, look, motherfucker, this is my award. Pretty much making fun of you at a very high professional level. I think that's what James Franco's movie was, just making fun of this guy. All right, I'm going to go faint somewhere. Wake up disoriented on a bathroom floor and then do a podcast about that soon. But I know I keep threatening you. This will be an interview show. I'm going to have some interesting people on this podcast soon. I've talked about John Bush and Peter Ornstein. I want to get that good-looking mayor of Novato, Josh Friday, on the show. That's a tough get. He probably won't. I want to get Isaac Zones on the show. Who's that? You probably don't know. But you'll learn. I want to get some interesting people in here. Maybe I'll interview former... NFL superstar Travis LeBoy on this show. Or maybe not. Who knows? I have a long list of people to reach out to. But the thing is, this microphone I bought, they say it's for interviews, and I think both people would have to have their faces smushed against it for that to work, the bi-directional mode. So who wants that? 
Who wants to do an interview with someone where you're seven inches away from their face the whole time? I need another microphone. All right, this is the technical aspects of what's going on right now. I know you care so much about that. All right, I'm going to cut it right now. I'm going to go collapse on the couch and watch a lot of basketball and wear pajamas all day and eat awful food, which sounds really good. Time to order a pizza from Red Boy, clam and garlic, maybe. And it's time for you to put up a review on iTunes only if you want, only if you have some time. Check me out on Twitter. That is where I promote these podcasts at jrosenberg957. My book is available if you want it. Huh? Anybody? Suddenly Facing Reality on Amazon.com. I think that website's doing well. Pretty, pretty, pretty well. All right, episode nine is in the books. It's been a weird one, but I'll talk to you soon.